Welcome, friends. On behalf of the Presbytery of San Fernando, I am delighted to have you as part of our regular conversations. Our Presbytery is a community of churches and ministries that is seeking to be part of Christ's mission with faithfulness, joy, humility, and courage in the northwest part of the Los Angeles area and beyond. I hope that you enjoy this dialogue. Please feel free to learn more about us by visiting our website at sfpressmeeting.org. Thank you so much for listening. Well, hello, hello. Good afternoon. It is 12.01. We are beginning the PSF Strategy bi-monthly webinar. We have an extra special guest with us today. His name is Mark Fields. Mark, hi, welcome. How are you doing? Come on. What's up, family? My name is Mark. I'm doing well. I'm thankful, uh, grateful to be here. Uh, I was going to make a, a, a joke about just how many of us are packed into this Zoom, but I am grateful to be here right now. <laughs> well, it's good to be with you. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and why the world you're in this conversation? Yeah, well, uh, right now I'm the host of the Kinship Collective. We're ending otherness. We're celebrating stories and reimagining scripture together. For me, coming to this place as a host and learning what does it look like, spiritual leadership in a new world, really. Uh, right. For me, I get to host these conversations with incredible individuals. We recently just went kind of physical and had kind of a focus group. How does this look in person? Nice, and congrats. to experience the beauty of reflection together and how people's stories affect one another and how we see scripture through each other's eyes and through each other's location. So it was really, really beautiful. So that's kind of how I find myself here. I've been in the Cyclical LA network since 2018 and did the uh, summer apprenticeship then, have been in the cohorts learning and growing since then. And we just launched the Kinship Collective last year in the middle of pandemic where values kind of everything gets realigned and I realize this is what I wanna give my life to. So that's kind of how I find myself today in this well, room. Well, I mean, just seriously welcome. Uh, I'm, I'm a Presbyterian pastor and I'm on staff at a Presbytery, which is a PCUSA middle governing body. And I don't know if you know this, but scripture is supremely important to Presbyterians. So I mm. think finally getting to this, uh, this conversation uh, is, is important and will be really meaningful for a lot of people in our little church family. So, I mean, you've been doing pastoral ministry for a long time in various venues. I'd love to hear about those um, before you answer this question. Um, and then I especially want to jump in too, to, uh, more on, on the new worshiping community you're starting and why scripture is so central to what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Before you get there, can you tell us a little bit about your kind of ministry background, uh, that brought you all the way to the kinship collective? Absolutely. I, I think, I, I think it's really wise to talk about that because the story that we've all kind of come from uh, absolutely shapes where we are now. So for me, my intro to ministry was a Christian Community Development Association. I don't know if uh, listeners have heard of CCDA, where people um, create ministries that meet the needs of mostly urban, mostly under-resourced neighborhoods throughout the United States and a little bit abroad. So I found myself after college in this gang neighborhood. There was two rival gangs that lived in these neighborhoods. I lived in one. 
I saw initiations, saw witnessed a lot of drug dealing, lots of blood, lots of different things. Uh, but it was, this is where I felt alive to be in the community with the community and doing ministry that met actual needs, um, not necessarily aspirational needs or spiritual needs, so to speak. It met all the needs. So that was my intro to ministry. I spent a few years doing that, helping kids focus on school, find a place to belong, um, navigate an American kind of education system with parents who were many times undocumented and trying to help undocumented folks find legal status in the United States, which was just really a beautiful hallmark season of my life. Right. I went from there to then kind of church ministry at a, in a black mega church, kind of part of uh, Joel Osteen's champion networks. Okay. So if you can imagine the, uh, I'm going to say grandiosity, the ways that um, the drivenness, uh, which I don't think is a bad thing, mm -hmm. but very early on, even as a, I'm a multi-ethnic individual. Mm -hmm. And so for, I was a fish out of water, but I was learning to swim and, and serving in the space that I felt called to. Bill, what a difference and, from the CCDA setting. Oh my gosh, that transition must have been wild. It, it was extraordinary. I mean, it was... It, which to me, in, in the context of our conversation today, thinking of people who have navigated ministry one way and then pandemic kind of shifts everything, the rules of engagement and how we meet people and how we meet the needs of our sisters and brothers. Um, it was very much a culture shock and a huge transition. Very much, I remember just thinking, wait, ministry is supposed to be incarnational. We're, I'm supposed to be where with the people that I serve. This is supposed to be, we live together and pray together and play together. Right. And right now it's like it, we're commuting into this spot mostly on Sundays and we're trying to generate all this large stuff, very events based, very numbers kind of driven. That was a huge just um, I wouldn't it wasn't a shock. It was me trying to find um, how does this make sense in my worldview, in my right. framework, in my theology. And there was a lot of dissonant pressure, angsty kind of pulling. Uh, but trying to navigate and trying to be faithful, because to be honest, I just never felt release, which might be an Enneagram 2 thing, mm -hmm. might be, um, <laughs> you know, an over optimistic positivity. I can make this thing change, which is, a, you know, I think there's some some growth uh, when you're mature. You can say, OK, uh, this is the end. I, this does not work. This won't this can't be what I what I need it to be or where I would flourish, even though others may flourish. So I spent four years in that black mega church and then. I moved to Pasadena and served at Lake Ave as the high school pastor there for four years. And this was another kind of culture shift where my hallmark experience of what church and community through the lens of CCDA, okay, this didn't fit in the black mega church. Maybe this, maybe this church that is a little bit more diverse is going to have more of that feel, but it was still very much something different than what I was built for. Right. But I had known church and following Jesus to be and community. Right. So I spent four years and there was on the back end of that, there was a lot of pain of trying to press into press into community for me, trying to be overprotective of my family. So we couldn't really fully integrate uh, the disappointment that my wife felt of being on leadership teams that were mostly white being uh, she's Filipino. So the, there was tension there of expectations. We know, we've experienced the kingdom of heaven. We've experienced this before. Yeah. Why haven't we experienced it again? Yeah. And so I transitioned 
from the church back into parachurch world with young life. And again, it was, it was more of the kingdom of heaven realm that I was used to. Yeah. But then it was less of other things that I was needing. And so in the middle of the pandemic, my heart woke up to scripture is vital to me. I've been handed this tradition from my mother, from my mother's grandfather. who, um, And so I realized I want to give myself to this in ways that I can't right now. How do I do this in ways that kind of bring together the whole story, my whole story, my whole experience, integrate everything and serve people that I feel called to the people who are disinterested in the church they've never been a part of the church because it didn't have a theology big enough or they've been a part of the church and and have left because they were wounded they were excluded or they were kicked out right and so that's kind of how I find myself into kinship collective and the work that we do through conversations one at a time and trying to build um uh, a a network of small kind of home church gatherings that then come together in a large kind of celebratory higher energy um, celebration of being together being known being celebrated and at the same time centering scripture in that it's i mean i can just see your it feels like you're testing these different environments through which you wanted to practice your vocation and it's it's fascinating to me <laughs> that in the midst of all that diversity that ultimately scripture is the foundation that you landed on that uh, provided the framework needed to make sense of all this and then also to to drive forward with your work and innovation here uh, through the kinship collective so yeah thanks for tying that all together um so would it be fair to say then that what makes you so passionate about scripture is that it's helped you to frame your story and your vocation or is it bigger than that i would imagine as well yeah i think for me it's it's uniquely it's different than that. For me, it's really about there's heritage, there's imagination, there's ways that I've seen scripture lived out that have marked me and shaped me. My mother used to, she, she held Bible studies in our double wide mobile home growing up. I saw the courage that she lived life with, the generosity. She would take local kind of drug addicts to donate their plasma so that they could buy groceries they would probably buy drugs with that. She would buy them groceries. I watched her live out the way of Jesus in a way that has marked me and given me faith in that. But I also watched her tell the stories of scripture and value them with flannel graphs, with, mm-hmm. she would incentivize this thing. So I watched like the pedagogy of the one who's following Jesus, sharing these stories and, and sparking imagination. So for me, when I hold the scripture, one of the things I think that gets directly to the question is I think that it's not being given its due respect yes, that many right. of us as ministers, we, yeah. we are treating it. Um, I wouldn't say we're treating it poorly, um, but maybe that is what we're doing. <laughs> maybe we're not giving it enough time. Maybe we're not uh, built that way to imagine it or to experience it and to sit in it and to allow the story to in my mind, I, I'm thinking about, um, you know, a, a preacher, a friend who recently preached a sermon, and he talked about the ways that 2,000 pigs squealing into their death in a lake below sound like. Yeah. And I said, I've never heard this before. I've never imagined 2,000 dead pigs in a lake. Right. And what that means, I've heard about economics for the fam, for, for this neighborhood, and I've heard it, 
man, this the the man who was once a home to legion of demons yeah. and the transformation. But I never imagined two thousand squealing pigs. So, but for me, I was handed that that experience from my mother. And then when I would go from place to place and listen to people talk about scripture, and for me, even very clearly recite scripture and read it monotone, skip over the exclamation points, yeah. not give Peter his curiosity, not give him his fury, not give Jesus his fury, not give Jesus his candor and his kindness, mm -hmm. his poise in the middle of an extreme situation, mm -hmm. his cunning kind of shrewd navigation of the politics of the moment. And for me, that's that's something I'm passionate about. So, and what's interesting, Nick, that when you asked me that, so for me, that's that's the heritage I was handed in my bloodline from my faithful mother and her grandfather, who was a janitor in a Methodist church, and these people who exposed her. She came to faith later on in life in jail. Yeah. And for me, I'm handed this faith from her, and now I'm in my world, in the in my kind of location in the world, and I get to share that around. And who's around me are people who are saying that book it, I'm, i can't i i'm gonna have to re, i'm gonna have to recite this quote verbatim mm -hmm. that book is fucked up that god is <laughs> fucked up i can't mess with that and right. so for me i'm in that world yeah. and it doesn't matter how much imagination and passion i give jesus the poise how much dignity i give to this ethiopian slave who has been cast out by her masters because the master told her to sleep with her husband abram and now she has this baby, she gets, and then the God says, go back to that. Yeah. So it doesn't, I can, I can recite that and narrate that as beautifully as I can. The posture of the listener is still that kind of God I can't mess with. But right. the beauty of the conversation that happens there is that this kind of God holds space for that. Yeah. Yeah. And me seeing it through your eyes allows me to see, oh, I never even knew. I never, I haven't felt that way, that discarded before. So for you to help me see that in this story is extraordinarily powerful. Yeah. So that's kind of how I hold scripture, the ways that I've encountered it. Yeah, that's a good, I mean, just a really good description of uh, reimagining scripture. I, I think uh, something that my friends and I talk about a lot is the uh, way too high ratio of how we reduce scripture, like reductionisms in scripture. Uh, mm -hmm. I think you're tapping into that. Like, uh, I love the yeah the audio of the pigs. That's good, right? Bringing some color to it, bringing it to life, um, and then yeah, I mean, the 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 grind. Let's just say in that preaching moment with scripture, right? That the grind of of a pastor uh, who is you know finishing the sermon, and guess what's coming next week? Another sermon. The sermon. Guess what's coming next week? Another another sermon. Sunday. Guess, yeah. guess what's coming week 562 guess what's coming week 892 and yes, so there is how do you like how for for the 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 people who uh will preach who will be listening to this how do you encourage them to i mean certainly you got to find rhythm if you're going to be doing this week in and week out but mm -hmm. how do you maintain a posture of minimizing reductionisms while finding that pattern yeah, I think the first thing that comes to our mind is community. When the scripture is always interpreted from my location in the world, we talk about the context of the scripture and how important it is to understand the world that Jesus is walking around or the world that Abraham is walking around. Right. Or the place that, you know, 
the creation story we have, where it came from and where it spoke into and, and how many. So that context is important, but our context is important too. Right. And every time I see scripture and every time I narrate scripture, it's yeah. from the collection of experiences I've had. So as a pastor, the more, you know, you as a sister of faith can invite other people into your preparation. Yeah, right. If you can create a weekly gathering over coffee, coffee, Tuesday mornings, or maybe your dreaded morning, wherever you need some more life, yeah. get around more people to see the thing together as early on as possible. Monday morning, if you're off Monday, Tuesday morning or Tuesday afternoon, give you some headway into the weekend. But sit down with people that you trust, but that are in different locations in the in life and in the world. And that. That'll validate the people in your uh, community, even the newest people. For me, I love, I've had the gift of seeing scripture through people's eyes who have zero familiarity with scripture. Right. And it's it's a gift to me. Absolutely. The wonder, the um, the cynicism, all of it. And it's a different cynicism than the cynicism some of us have had after years and years and years of being with it. It's this brand new, like, well, how could that be? But I would say if you can invite other people in, then the more eyes, the more hearts, the more experiences you're getting around that text. But that, and it's going to frame in my, in my own personal experience. Like I remember uh, when I was uh, pastoring Northland Village Church, I had to figure out how to, and I don't want to like schedule time for like scripture, right? And that's where I think we start getting reduced in it. Like, yeah, to bring it to life of people, like you're saying, like, it's a, it's a very lifeblood of our movement. It's, it's like, a, it's like disciple making. It's not like you schedule time to make disciples. It's part of the very flow that we're entering into as the people of God. So when I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to preach, um, we did this very thing. It was so much fun. Uh, we met at Golden Road Brewery every Monday night at 5.30 PM. We meet from 5.30 to 7.00. And we would read the text together that was going to be preached the next week. So mm -hmm. we, I always heard of like pastors, like a follow-up after the sermons preached, here's your small group questions that you can go d deeper into. No, 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 no. We wanted to flip that. So for, I don't know, probably for six years, we sat together and looked at scriptures and I would just sit there and take notes. And this was the group that wrote the sermon. And mm -hmm. the fact that we did it together, I think you're right. Like the hyper individualization of getting by yourself and like reading scripture in the morning when you wake up, certainly a time and place for that, but to give it some legs and some life to do it with people, I appreciate that communal perspective. And I would say even for you, Nick, like on the response to the back end of that, the weight of that feels different. It doesn't feel, you know, when we talk about Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, it's still Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. You still have to stand up yeah. and preach and yep. speak where you feel convicted and, and kind of boil down everything around us that you've heard throughout the week. Right. But the reality is like, in my mind, when you walk away from the assignment at uh, NBC, yeah. I would imagine those Monday nights are a huge part of what you remember. Oh, certainly. I mean, just memories. beautiful. Right. Those memories. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's so encouraging to see one of our new worshiping communities taking such an acute moment on prioritizing scripture. And um, I'm wondering how scripture, the diversity of scripture, in, like enlivens your encounters with God. What does it do for you personally? Yeah. Oh, man. Well, I think for me, you know, back to what you said about like centering scripture. Even me, I, I come from an ultra, um, my past has been churched you know I, I grew up in church my mom had us in church when the doors were open she volunteered all that kind of stuff she represented that great great 
the world we live in now is not that. And if it is that, it's like with built-in cynicism, you've been disappointed over and over and over again. Right. And so now when I like, you know, when I sit down with people now and we have gatherings, there's so much um, skepticism on yeah. the front end of scripture. There is so much hurt that that the book, you know, and for me, it's like, like you said, I'm choosing to center scripture reading. Right. And so when I hold this book, you know, the last gathering we had, I tried to, you know, create a disclaimer. And I said, look, I know that this book might have created some wounds, right? I thought I, I did like a decent disclaimer. It's kind of comical. Like, look, I know you roll your eyes at this thing. I didn't realize the amount of pain associated to the narrative that people have heard yeah. to the interpretations that have driven their experience with God and with community. Right. There's so much wounding around it. And, and, and to be candid, I was like, oh, wow. I, I didn't realize this was going to create so much or stir up um, so, so much of the pain that people are carrying with them. Right. And so for me, it's like, we, ha we have to adjust that. Um, but back to the diversity for me, there's, there's diversity outside of scripture, back to the people that I'm hearing it from yeah. the people who have been wounded by the story helping me see this right I, I recently had a conversation um actually this week it'll be well last week whenever this is published the week mm -hmm. prior uh mm -hmm. we i had a conversation with a guy named ed oxford recorded ed oxford is uh, a queer brother of faith uh, faithful to the scriptures he went to talbot seminary and was fighting right and and many of my our queer sisters and brothers that i speak to deal with this very real suicidality wanting to end their life they they can't find happiness within the bounds of the theology that they've grown up in right they don't know what to do with that they've prayed since they were 11 years old to not be who they are mm. all the systems they've existed in have told them that they are not worthy and that they need to change and so anyway ed is now working on a project called 1946 the first time that the word homosexual gets translated into the scripture. Yeah. So he goes to Yale and him and his research partner are the only people who have gone into the library at Yale to find, okay, why did this get translated this way mm. in this version? Right. And for him, what he talked about is, and then they go to Chicago on a, another interpretation revision project. They're yeah. the first people, so much so, there's a packet of a revise of a Bible revision that has come back to the library and it's still sealed. Nobody has gone in there since the sixties. They're the first people. Everybody has a huge, you know, this passionate perspective. They're the only people on record to have gone in to pursue the real truth. But what Ed talks to me and says, as I have done this work, the story has gotten bigger and more relevant. And the, my perception of God has gotten bigger and more gracious, more capacious, more beautiful. Yeah. It's humongous. I mean, so, I mean, I, we've been having conversations on the cyclical podcast uh, that often return to having a conversation with your former self. So mm. what, how, how would your 16-year-old self read Mark II? How would your 24-year-old self read Mark II? How would your 35? So that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. And so much time I spent. So I became a Christian through young life when I was 18 years old. And my first three years, 
it was all about reading scripture so I could figure out who God was and put God in this box. I'll tell you, by the time I was 21, I knew every answer to every question that, that anyone would have because scripture told me what to say. But what you're saying is the opposite. These, these trails of mystery and wonder as we dive into scripture lead to a, a, a bigger God, a God that um, maybe we couldn't even imagined 10 years ago. And that is, that is the, the, the proof in the pudding is there. That's, that's the good stuff that we need to be getting after. Yeah, I, that, and that was that conversation with Ed put a lot of uh, language around that. But yes, it is. It's almost like we do create this box because as a teenager and as a young person of faith, we, we need the boundaries. We need structure. We need to understand that as we mature, and as we look back at scripture, so for me, it's like we start to understand the text, 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 text. As yeah. we mature, then we understand, well, how did the text come to be? Yeah. Who, how many people voted on this? How much of this got left out? How much, why did it get left out? Why is this story written here? How come this story is, a, there's how many flood stories? There's how many, two, and so once we go into like, yes, we understand the text at, at it's not level one, it's our introduction to the text. Then when we start to spend time on, well, how did this text get constructed? Then we can, and still there's trust in the spirit moving in the individuals, men mostly who have written or men mostly who have made a decision to keep this, that, and the other. Yeah. But there, there is wide open when we start to see, oh, this is, these are the two words that make up that word. That doesn't have anything to do with that. That doesn't have anything to do with that. And then it opens it back up and it invites people in. And so back to your other question about like, why would I center that? There's a belief that the deeper that we go in my own personal experience, I have been captivated and on wonder the more that I've understood. And there's there's really tricky, intense times, anxious times in the middle. But I've experienced the on wonder of more and bigger. And so I'm trusting that we can encounter that with people who are agnostic or now atheist or whatever. There's this kind of trust that let's keep getting back around the table because the way you see it and your experience, there's, there's more. And I'm growing in my Jesusness, my Christ likeness, my compassion is growing. Every time you give me an angry outburst to the, just the ridiculousness of the story and how people are like surrendering their agency and da da da. Sure. You're helping me to understand the text and God and myself and you. Yeah. And ultimately, yeah. The, the, your background too, I know, and um, the, the word you've been using over and over again is encountering God. Yeah. Um, again, in our reductionisms around scripture, it feels like scripture uh, isn't a place where we encounter God. Um, so I'm wondering, for those that maybe are struggling with encountering God, um, how might scripture help people encounter God? And just bigger picture, like what does it mean for you to encounter God on a, I don't know, day-to-day, minute-to-minute, second-to-second, week-to-week, month-to-month kind of basis? Yeah, I love the, uh, the, the, the specifics on the back end because as I started to formulate my answer, I know my rhythms for scripture and reflection, mm-hmm. but also on a minute-to-minute-to-minute basis, God is to be encountered in, you know, I, I have three daughters and my youngest daughter teaches me so much about the intention about incarnation, about what it means for me to go to her. Mm-hmm. So when she's wounded, when she's um, 
past her threshold and she's throwing a fit or she's hurt or whatever, she's not coming to me. Hmm. So I learn about God. I encounter the grace of God when she will, when she refuses to come to me to have a conversation. And when I have to crawl into the bottom of her little bunk bed and swallow her up in a huge hug, I get to, to encounter a newer image of God, the God who comes to me when I don't have the capacity to come to God. Mm-hmm. It's so beautiful. For me, when I think about encountering God, I think there's like the very specific unique ways that s- scripture speaks to me into very specific circumstances. Mm-hmm. You know, reading back through Old Testament and, and thinking through just these, these stories of where we come from as a people and as a tradition. Right. And the ways that it speaks to the unique things we go through. Mm -hmm. But if I'm looking at the text as like, what does this have to say to those people over there? Mm -hmm. What is the catchiest thing? And all that, like, I've done it. I understand what that feels like. What is, you know, what is the thing? What, What are you saying to them? But really, the greatest gift that our people have from us is for us to give them the most vulnerable healing and transforming version of ourselves and our own encounters with God throughout the week to say, as I read this, I was so challenged in the ways that I'm coping with my pain and the ways that I'm coping with my fear. Mm -hmm. And God challenged me to name, name it. Mm -hmm. And for me to be candid, you know, I was looking at scripture and I'm, I'm thinking, yo that my my aspirational version of myself i i can't even it's hard for me to even name some of this stuff verbally journaling reflection i can pretty do and god isn't this invitation name it name it and hold it and and be gracious to yourself i understand why you do those things yeah right you can be great so when this when this when the preaching moment and and scripture you know back to like our jobs and when it becomes about like, I have to produce this thing for those people over there, yeah. we've already kind of distanced ourselves from the transformation right. that the spirit would invite us into. Right. Well, this is about my finances. This is about my fear. This is about my overambition. This is about me. And this is about my sisters and my brothers mm-hmm. who look to me, who are giving generously so that I can spend time reflecting in this so that I can have something meaningful to say, um, not on my own, but that I can represent a loving and generous gift and invitation into their own encounter with the text. So, I mean, that's what I would speak to that. I love it. The, um, so much of the academics right now in innovation entrepreneurship is around empathy. And it feels like as I'm listening to you, that scripture functions as a vehicle uh, to distribute empathy, not only to other people, but also to yourself. Mm-hmm. And that is, uh, that is, a that is, I'm sorry, I'm just kind of selfishly speaking, <laughs> like my brain's like putting this in, like logging this one. Uh, it, it does feel like you're naming a, a, a vehicle to, to share empathy with others. I, I think too, for uh, as pastors, and I'm going to call us specialists, people mm-hmm. who who've given thousands of dollars to earn degrees, to understand the Hebrew, to understand the Greek, to understand the background. Sometimes we, we can think that we're the expert and the back to what you said about empathy and the ways that when we're reading it in community, if it's always like 
scripture me them scripture me them but if we can like decentralize that and create that moment we talked about earlier where somebody else in my congregation says something way deeper than me much less you know loud and boisterous than me and it's really poignant in it then i remember oh i'm a part of this community this is my role and this is the gift i get to serve in this community but i am shaped by this community yeah and to be candid like these these aren't sheep and if these are sheep i'm sheep too i'm not the shepherd right but we are all like these are people and these people are navigating business deals throughout the week they're making really tough decisions about staffing and sustainability in their businesses and their doctors or in their entry-level position or whatever yeah but to create that mutuality and and baseline that empathy back to what you're saying like there's a lot of, it gets a lot easier when it's not just me and my study walls filled with books and logos or whatever the thing is, <laughs> right? There's, there's a lot more mutuality there. I love it. So for anyone, you know, pastor, not pastor, church leader, person who participates in the church, person who's maybe cynical of church, but they do want to faithfully be people who uh, encounter and share scripture with others. Mm-hmm. What are some practical steps for these type of folks to help them uh, in their ability to participate in God's word together with mm-hmm. others? What would you, what, what are some pointers that you would point them toward? Yeah, I think the first thing we're, I'm going to keep harping on just the mutuality and you are limited by your own location. You cannot see what you cannot see. Mm-hmm. So you have to open that space up to see together get get into community shrink the community with people you trust with diverse experiences to see it differently right i think another and maybe add to that too know the know the past we have two thousand years beyond four thousand years of history of people encountering these texts so include the diversity of our siblings from the past as well yeah i i was i was thinking about yeah, there's, there's diversity, there's our diversity, there's the diversity of the text and the ways that it's been interpreted throughout the history of humanity. Mm-hmm. And there's the different voices, even within the text, yeah. that would say different things, that have encountered God in different ways, and God showed up in different ways at, at different times, some very distant ways, some very intimately connected ways. Right. I think that's really, really important. Yeah. I think, you know, on a, on a practical level for a pastor or, or somebody who's in that profession, a couple of things that really stand out and they may be overly simple, but sometimes when we can hit like a roadblock in, in a sermon, and then it's like, we want to watch a movie, watch a Netflix, go somewhere else, look at art or something like that, but just spend time memorizing the text. Hmm. Like just read it over. If you feel like, okay, I'm blocked here. I don't know what the transition from this to that idea is. I'm not sure where to go from here to there. Just memorize the text. Mm. Just read it again. Yeah. What does that do? You said what? Yeah. Why? Why memorize the text? Well, I think that it makes us familiar with the text. It puts mm. the text into our heart. I think it, it mm. the more we're in that, the more that like, as we're it's back to that, you know, the chewing the cud or that we, that Joshua talked about in Joshua 1.8. Your word will not depart from my mouth. I'll put it around my neck. I'll talk to my kids about it while we're on the way. I'll talk about it at dinner table. I'll talk about it at the coffee shop. It just, it becomes part of the filter that we're experiencing life through. There's a local pastor here I respect a lot. 
And he talks about a lot of times in his sermons, he'll say, oh, this, of course, this week I would experience this because I'm dealing with this passage and blah, 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 mm-hmm. uh, Baptist brother. But for me, I think it creates the, fil- it helps us to filter life through that. And not that, again, that's still treating it as functional. Like, okay, well, this is still, I'm going to produce this thing for those people over there and it's going to make it better. I just think when you get stuck, for me, when I get stuck, I'm tempted to like, okay, well, I'm going to go do the email thing, go do a different thing, go whatever, read it again know the passage and not just excavate the passage for your talking points and blah 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 right so for me back to like memorize and then it's like to me lectio divina yeah who's whose perspective we've heard this story from the perspective of jesus what about the boy who gave up his lunch how many times do we talk about him and his perspective his courage his faith how many times do we talk about the story through the lens of peter getting woke up by the other younger disciples there's 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 a ghost on the water yo if that's really you call me out it's me peter come walk come to me but the lectio divina practice we memorize the text the more familiar we are with the text the more we can imagine what would that have been like how dusty were those feet that jesus was cleaning how much perfume filled that room curious yeah yeah your curiosity your natural curiosity really coming in here yeah but we can't be curious this is the same thing with when we proclaim the word like if we haven't nailed down what it is we want to say then we can't get to how we want to say it yeah right so when i know the text then i can start to imagine the different realities throughout it yeah i love it how how about let's maybe finish here um just devil's advocate right now. Come on, come on. Um, I'm a, I'm a person who, a, a business leader. I'm, I got a busy week. I've got three kids. Maybe I'm an accountant and I'm going through a divorce and things are really hard right now. Uh, I'm a pastor and I've got 16 things I need to get done in the next three days. So basically my devil's advocate comment is around bandwidth. So why would I sit around and memorize scripture when I need to be at the hospital helping someone to pass along? Mm. Why, why am I going to sit? Why, why would I memorize scripture when I need to go engage with my neighbors in my neighborhood? And I need to be at the neighborhood council meeting. Like how, how do we, how do we balance these things? Like what's, what's the pitch to me? That was, that's a terrible way to say it. Sorry. But why am I going to choose to use my bandwidth in this way? rather than in ways that might be more quote-unquote productive yeah well i think it's it's integrated so it's not make it the separate thing that's going to do and spend an hour doing that and for me to be honest that idea comes from when you're stuck and don't know where to go start just meditating but when you when you put it in that framework back to the business leader back to i mean just the being human is hard. Back to all the decisions we make in the day and our relationships with our partners and our children and the finances, all that stuff. For me, it's integrated. Yeah. So it's not like conjure up a separate thing to do this, that, and the other. Yeah. Back to what Joshua said, yeah. it doesn't depart from my lips while I'm walking my kid to school. Yeah, I'm that. talking about it, thinking about it. When I'm cooking with my children in the kitchen, we're talking and kind of thinking about it. I want to know what they see. How do you see this? How does this, what if this happened to you? 
But I think an integrated approach to our faith in general is going to be the one that transforms us in the places that actually matter. If I'm a business leader, what matters to me is my bottom line, the profit margin, my quarter goals, this is quarter in, all that stuff matters. And if the scripture can't speak to that to me, then don't speak to me about the scripture. The reality is that the scripture does speak to that. The scripture does talk about quarter end goals. It does talk about seven barns. It does talk about building more barns. It does talk about generosity. It does talk about leadership. And so when it's integrated though, then I can see this. Okay, how do I really navigate this? I need a new CFO. This CFO is not, doesn't have the capacity to get us to the next level of where we wanna be. So how do I honor this person in their transition? And how do I honor the sustainability of the 700 other staff that need the right CFO in this place so that we can move on and continue to grow into our next kind of wave of goals for our public stockholders? Mm -hmm. If the scripture can't speak to that back, it's so funny because I think a lot of times, Nick, we, when I grew up, especially in the black mega church, it's like, if God ain't God of all, then he's not God of, at all. Yeah. But that God is like, it's like, if this God of a box ain't God of it all, then he ain't God at all. So we're trying to figure out, put God, and if it doesn't fit in this box, then it ain't God. But it's really the God we know understands what it's like to look someone in the face who has goals that we have an expectation of what they're, the way they're supposed to perform. They have a different expectation. We don't have the courage to say this to them. Look, I need you to do this, that, and the other. That's a pastor, that's a CEO, that's a nonprofit leader, that's a husband and a wife, that's a, a dad and his three daughters. And being able to take ownership, it's all in the text. And, and encountering God in those ways is so meaningful. Back to, for me, you know, I recently had a conversation with a business leader and there, it was this very conversation around the leader that we're talking about is a leader I'm not going to say the companies that he's been CEO of, you've, you've worn their stuff. And so he has a, a staff person that he cannot tell the truth to right now. He's mm. fearful to tell them what really needs to be said. Mm. But the scripture gives us courage and God meets us in those places and helps to transform us no matter what station, no matter where we come from, back to the diversity. And it doesn't matter where we're at right now, where we're headed. The text speaks to us and invites us into wholeness to the story of wholeness since the beginning of humanity. Oh, what a lovely place to land this conversation, Mark. Hey, Mark, if people want to get a hold of you, what's the best way to get a hold of you to your new church? Absolutely. You can find us on Instagram at The Kinship Collective. You can find me on Instagram at Mark underscore Fields. You can go to The Kinship Collective dot com and learn more about what we're doing get access to all the kind of social media all this stuff um upcoming gatherings and stuff that's the kinship as in family as in us there is no them just us all included the kinship collective um thanks for having me nick thanks for having me um san fernando presbytery so appreciate the ways you've invested in innovation and in leaders like me um really really grateful to be here Thanks to those who are listening. The work that you do is so extraordinary and the ways that you've done it through the pandemic and now the ways you've innovated, the ways you've grown and transformed. Um, I mean, to still be in it is, I mean, there's a lot of people who are not. So thank you for what you're doing 
I look forward to collaborating and the ways that we find synergy uh, in the spirit as we all continue to unveil what God is doing together. So thank you all. Thanks, Nick. Mm -hmm. All right. Pastor, we appreciate it. For our listeners, thanks for tuning in. This is PSF Strategy. My name is Nick Warnes. And until our next gathering, see you then. As we wrap up this time together, I would like to express our gratitude on behalf of the team and the people of the San Fernando Presbytery. My prayer is that it might have been helpful to you. I would like to also invite you to comment, give us some feedback, and perhaps even like this podcast or share it with the people that you know so that we may be able to continue making it available to others. Thank you so much.